Welcome to Coffee Con Trails. Today's story is Revealed by Bob Hewell. It happens all the time. People get into a taxi, Uber, or Lyft with their cell phones and somehow leave them behind. Arguably the most important piece of electronics they own and they leave them behind in their haste to get out of the vehicle and move on to whatever is happening next in their busy lives. As David ended his late night shift of shuttling his patrons back and forth across the Bay Area, he did what he always did after getting home and parking in his assigned carport at Hale's apartments. He cleaned the windows of his minivan, restocked the beverage holders with water bottles, and wiped down his leather seats. Then he checked for any items people left behind. There it sat on the floor behind the driver's seat, another cell phone. David picked it up. On the back of the phone was one word, Graystar. It wasn't a brand of phone he recognized. He turned it over in his hands and to his surprise, was able to open the unlock screen with a simple upward swipe of his finger. Hoping to return the phone to its owner, David opened the phone's contact list. There were no entries in it. He checked the phone's dialing history. It had none, and no history of any messages. It was as if someone had just unpackaged a new cell phone and promptly lost it. That might explain why there was no passcode on the lock screen. What a pity. There was nothing for David to do now but wait for the phone's owner to contact him. It had been a long day for the car-sharing driver, so he left the Graystar in the glove box. Surely its owner would realize their mistake and contact him by morning. They generally did. People hate being without their precious little glowing slabs of social connection. Packing for Central America, Floyd Brigman wondered what he and his research colleague Rick Nash would uncover in Honduras. As with previous trips, it had taken he and Rick nearly a year to plan the expedition, get the grant money, and collect all the university approvals needed to make the trip. Floyd looked at his clothes and essential gear laid out on his bed. He had almost everything he needed. As he began packing, he paused for a moment to listen to the news as the newscasters gave an update on an increasingly popular story. Well, Dan, it's been three months since the Planetary Defense Office, headed by NASA and the American Astronomical Society, first learned about the Powell-Garland Comet. Any update on that new Alpha Pisces meteor cloud heading our way? Yes, Bill. Now that the meteor cloud is closer, scientists are able to make better predictions about what to expect when it arrives this June. From their observations, its composition looks larger than our annual Perseids meteor shower. I see. So more shooting stars than the Perseids? Could be. We typically see upwards of 100 shooting stars an hour at the height of the August shower. So the Defense Office and Astronomical Society say we may see even more than that. Their analysis also shows the composition to contain larger chunks of rock than we're used to seeing. This means they should be brighter, too. Brighter how, Dan? They say more like fireballs, or bolides, as scientists refer to them. Much brighter than the standard shooting stars we're used to seeing. Could this meteor shower be dangerous? Floyd stopped packing for a moment. It wasn't the reporter's question that gave him pause, but a realization that he still had clothes in the wash that he needed for his trip. As Floyd thought for a moment whether or not he'd remember to buy more dryer sheets, the reporter went on to answer his colleague's question. Well, Bill, the Defense Office has appraised the risk of possible Earth impacts and they do not expect any major damage to come from this shower. I see. So where and when should we be able to see this event? Well, since this is a new meteor shower with no prior history to compare it with, scientists can't be 100% certain of the timing. But current calculations would predict that the shower passing through our mesosphere the middle of June and as far as its location for viewing, if you live anywhere with a view of the constellation of Pisces, you'll be able to enjoy it. The middle of June? It's less than three weeks away, thought Floyd. He and Rick would be done with their work in Honduras, and Floyd did love a good meteor shower. That could be a perfect time to take a little vacation. 
As Floyd considered where he might go to view the shooting stars, anchorman Bill Barris sat behind his news desk and continued his line of questions to his colleague in the field. Any other details about the shower you can share with us? Only that the Planetary Defense Office and the Astronomical Society haven't been this excited about a meteor event since the Chibolinsky meteor of 2013. What was so special about that meteor event? Well, it seemed to come out of nowhere. You see, Bill, it was a fireball the size of a house that exploded 14 miles above Russia, blowing out windows in all directions for nearly 200 miles. So, Planetary Defense didn't see it coming? No, they didn't. As a matter of fact, it was that meteor that focused world leaders and astrological agencies to work together from the Planetary Defense Office in the first place. Fascinating. Dan, can you tell our viewers more about how the comet and meteor cloud got their respective names? Of course. Beamed Dan with a new spark in his eyes. It was this enthusiasm and energy of Dan's that Floyd enjoyed so much about this news team. Dan was an endless vault of information that only needed someone like Bill to pitch underhanded softballs of questions he could swing answers at. As is the tradition, this new Pal Garland comet gets its name from the lucky astronomers who discovered it. Georgi Pal from Hungary and Medawar Garland from England. But why isn't the new event called the Pal Garland meteor shower? That's a good question, Bill. You see, meteor showers get their names from the constellation they originate from and not from the astronomers who discovered the comet. For example, we don't call our Proceed shower the Swift-Tuttle shower after Lewis Swift and Horace Tuttle who discovered it in 1862. It's named after the constellation of Perseus. As Floyd left his bedroom to transfer his clothes from the washer to dryer, he continued listening to the exchange between the newsmen. But he was also thinking about the one piece of equipment he was missing. What am I going to do without a cell phone? It's going to be a pain in the ass coordinating anything with Rick without one, he thought, walking and listening once again to the newscast blurring from his bedroom. I see, Dan. Please continue. Certainly, Bill. In this case, the Pal Garland Comet was discovered in the southwestern edge of the constellation of Pisces, that area known as Alpha Piscium, where the two celestial fish are tied together with that mythological knotted rope. From that location, we derive the new meteor shower name. Hmm. So why don't we call it the Alpha Piscium Meteor Shower? Ah, uh, yes. You see, Bill, Piscium is the singular form of the Latin suffix. And since it's a meteor shower with more than a single meteor, we must use the plural form of the word. Therefore, instead of Piscium, we say Pisces. Okay, thanks for that clarification, Dan. Great stuff. I can't wait. Me either. That was Dan Taylor reporting live from the Chabot Space and Science Center in the Oakland Hills. Thank you, Dan. Next up on the 11 o'clock news, we'll have your sports highlights and five-day forecast. As the news went to commercials, Floyd finished transferring his clothes from the washer to dryer and checked his laundry cabinet. He had remembered to buy more dryer sheets. Ah, sighed Floyd, taking out a dryer sheet and sniffing it. There's nothing like being in the jungle wearing fresh lavender-scented clothes, he thought to himself, tossing the dryer sheet into the dryer. As Floyd completed his packing, his colleague Rick was doing the same across town. Rick had taken care of scheduling lift service for the two of them in the morning. He would have the driver pick himself up first and then head over to get Floyd before heading to the Oakland International Airport for their flight to Central America. Now, with his bags placed at the foot of the bed, Rick moved toward the bathroom to wash his face and brush his teeth. His wife, Dana, reading in bed, looked up past the top of her reading glasses at him. I mean it, Rick. This may be our last chance for a real family trip. Griffin graduates in two weeks, and then he's off to college. If he goes to school in New York and decides to stay there and start a family, who knows when we'll see him again? It's not exactly around the corner, you know. Whoa! Slow down, Dana. The kid just has a girlfriend, and you already have him married off and living in Manhattan? Really? Take it easy. You have to be more positive about this. I, for one, can't wait to turn his bedroom into a man cave. A place to clutter up with lots of useless junk is really more like it. If by useless junk, you mean all the things that put a smile on my face, besides you, beautiful? Then, yes. 
is going to be the most wonderfully cluttered junky room anyone's ever seen. I think the first thing I need to get is a poker table or a pinball machine. Rick half-joked, rinsing the soap bubbles from his face with warm water. And I'll finally have a place that doesn't need to be cleaned up every time the damn housekeeper comes over. And by the way, what's the point of cleaning up the night before she comes anyway? Isn't cleaning up her job? First of all, we don't play Sophia to pick up our clothes or wash the dishes, Rick. That's the easy stuff. We pay her for the hard stuff like vacuuming, mopping, and cleaning the bathrooms. And second, if you really want her to do everything, we'd have to pay her a lot more, honey, because that ain't cheap. But don't change the Wait, subject. what was the question again? Losing Griffin? I told you, we're not losing him. And we have all summer to backpack before he heads off to college. Besides, he hasn't even picked which place he wants to go yet. Maybe it won't be Columbia. Maybe he'll stay local and go to Berkeley like his old man. Seriously, Rick, we need a vacation. And this is the perfect opportunity for all of us to do it before Griffin packs up and moves away. moves away. Countered Rick, opening the medicine cabinet to pull out a tube of toothpaste. And it's only college, Dana. He'll be back. This is the only place he's ever known. He's bound to get homesick and come home to visit, if he values an inheritance. Besides, now isn't the best time to take a vacation for me. You know I need to finish my book. You've been working on that tome for almost three years now, Rick. A week of backpacking isn't going to make a difference. It might just do you some good to step away from your research for a little while. Really, I don't know how you keep all that ancient language stuff straight in your head anyway. Why couldn't you study some regular useful languages like Spanish or French so we could enjoy trips without having to struggle reading menus, for God's sake? Now who's changing the subject? Come on, Dana. I know you think it's kind of cool that I can go into any museum or dig site around the world and tell you what its hieroglyphic, pictogram, or ancient symbols mean. Sometimes it's even pretty funny. Remember that time we were at the National Museum in Lima, where they had that one translation fouled up? You laughed. Well, that was pretty funny. But how do I even know you weren't just making that translation up for a laugh? Because I explained it in my manuscript. If you ever cared to read the thing, that was just too good of a story to pass up. What a nice example of how a bad translation can totally change our understanding of an ancient culture. If it wasn't for our little visit, the museum would probably still think their Norte Chico stone tablet was describing novel methods of social and personal interactions in confined spaces, which it sort of was if you rethink how to describe bondage in S&M. He said, setting down the toothpaste and starting the brush. But they sure did hurry to move the thing to a different section of the museum once I corrected them, didn't they? Well, okay, but you're still stalling. What about backpacking? Spitting into the sink and rinsing his mouth, Rick relented. Okay, okay, I give. After Floyd and I get back from Honduras, I'll take a little break. That'll give you a couple of weeks to convince Griffin to break away from his friends in video games, if this is really going to happen. Oh, it'll happen. You just consider it done, mister. I'll start planning the trip while you and Floyd are staring at your precious symbols in the jungle. All right, then. Can I invite Floyd along with us, or do you want to keep this a strictly family time with Griff kind of thing? After a couple of weeks in the jungle with you, honey, I get the feeling Floyd might want some time to himself, but I don't mind if you invite him along. Okay. Sounds like we have a plan, boss. He cringed, climbing into bed and leaning That's over right, to give Dana a kiss. That's right, buddy. You just keep thinking that way when you start planning that man cave of yours. Ouch! I love you. I love you, too. You just travel safe. I always do, baby. No worries. The next morning, Rick's scheduled ride to the airport arrived without incident. The car was nice enough with tan leather seats. Good morning, sir. Are you Richard Nash? Yes. And are you David? Yes, sir. Please get in and I'll put your bags in the back. 
in its cup holders with fresh bottles of water. Soon, David climbed into his driver's seat, buckled up, and headed over to pick up Floyd from his apartment. Upon reaching the complex, Rick spotted Floyd curbside. That's him there. See the tall guy with the luggage? Yes, very good, sir. I'll pull over and help him with his bags. You can relax, please. I'll be just a moment. Thanks. I'm starting to like this guy. On time, polite, helpful, clean car, and water. As Floyd hopped into the seat next to Rick, the two exchanged greetings. David climbed into the driver's seat and turned to greet Floyd more formally. Hello, sir. My name is David. It's been a pleasure to drive you and Richard this morning. If you're thirsty, please feel free to enjoy some water. Oh, thank you, David. I'm Floyd. Pleasure to meet you, too. All set for the airport, then? Oh, yes, sir. I've checked the traffic, and we should be there in less than 20 minutes. If you need the heat turned up or down, please do not hesitate to ask. And please make sure to fasten your seatbelts for safety. Thank you. Will do. And thank you, David. Thank you, David. Replied Floyd, clicking his seatbelt into the buckle. No problem, sir. The pleasure is mine. Any problems packing? Not really. Packing was fine, but I had no luck finding my phone. You know what? I'm not even sure we'll get service down there anyhow, Floyd. So don't worry about it. We'll just stick together and it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, maybe, but I also just kind of feel naked not having a phone. It's like losing my wallet. You didn't lose that too, did you, Floyd? <laughs> no, and I still have my passport too, in case you're wondering. Excuse me, gentlemen, interjected David. But I could not help hearing your conversation, and I might be able to help you. You're giving away complimentary water and cell phones today, are you, David? Well, actually, sir, maybe. You see, I happen to have a cell phone that a previous guest left behind more than a month ago. I've tried reaching out to all of my past rioters from that time, but no one has come forward to claim it. Would you and your friend care to look at it? Oh, that's very kind of you, David. Began Floyd. But I'm sure somebody must be looking for it. Usually, I would agree with you, sir, but in my experience, if the owner of lost property does not contact me within the first two days, they generally never do. Also, I've already reached out to all my past guests, as I said, and no one has come forward. So I think I am safe to offer it to you if it will help you. So if you'd like to see it, I have it in my glove box. Okay, then. Since you put it that way, David, uh, sure, I'll take a look at it. David waited until he finished changing lanes before reaching over to retrieve the phone from its cubby and handed it over his shoulder to the back seat. Thank you, said Floyd, taking the phone. Nice looking phone. Looks brand new. It does, agreed Floyd. It says it's a gray star here on the back. Sir, all you have to do to unlock it is swipe the screen upwards. Okay. Hey, thanks, David. Now, let's see what we have here. Looks like it has all the basic apps. If you'll notice, sir, the phone is completely free of contacts, photos, emails, or phone call history. That is how I found it. That's bizarre, isn't it? Have you ever heard of a Graystar phone before, Floyd? Hmm, no. Uh, hey, David, this isn't some kind of joke, is it? I mean, this phone looks too nice to give up. How much would you want for it if I did take it? Sir, this phone has been nothing but trouble for me. For a month now, I have worried about someone leaving me negative feedback because they lost their phone in my car. I've done everything I could to return it to its rightful owner. I would be pleased if you could take it off my hands. If it can be of service to you, then I will happily give it to you. Wow. Looks good enough to me. Wow is right. It's quite a gift, David, and it really would be a great help to me to have it if you really don't want it. But you must let me pay you something for it. No, sir, please. If you feel you must reward me, your praise and positive feedback online would be most appreciated. Of course, I'm happy to do that. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Happy to help, sir. And here we are, safe and sound said David, pulling up curbside to drop off his passengers. 
the three men opened their car doors. Taking their bags from their gracious driver, Rick and Floyd took a moment to shake his hand and thank him once more for his generosity. As they stepped through the sliding doors of Oakland International, Floyd could not believe his good fortune. Turning the gray star over in his hand a few more times as he checked his bags at the service desk, Floyd smiled. As he and Rick relaxed aboard their flight preparing to leave the tarmac, Floyd put his new phone in flight mode and checked its battery level. It had a full charge. Floyd now had a good amount of time to become acquainted with his new device. How hard could it be? It's just a phone, he thought. Rick and Floyd were headed to the Capon Ruins, located one kilometer east of the town of Capon Ruinas in the western part of Honduras. The city, which was once home to over 25,000 residents, was built between 400 and 800 AD. Then it was suddenly abandoned for reasons unknown. Capon is a complex of ruins known for its beautiful stone temples, altars, ornate stela columns, and bountiful hieroglyphics. The ancient records painted onto and cut into stone brought researchers from around the globe to the expensive site in hopes of deciphering the complete Mayan language and gain a unique view into Capon's ancient history. Considered by many to be one of the most spectacular vestiges of Mayan civilization to visit, even if you weren't archaeological researchers like Rick and Floyd. Collecting Mayan knowledge for the University of Berkeley's Department of Anthropology, Rick and Floyd would concentrate their translation efforts on a series of hieroglyphics loaded in the Las Sepulcuras, an area just a kilometer from the principal group of Capon ruins. Whereas the principal group contains the greatest concentration of Capon structures, built mostly for the city's high nobility, the Las Sepulturas buildings were built for residents who lived more simply. At this less studied site, Rick and Floyd looked to uncover differences between the two ancient social classes through hieroglyphic analysis. Touching down at the San Pedro Sola Airport, Rick and Floyd found their chartered driver, Carlos. Their driver was nice enough, but could hardly string two English words together. As Carlos climbed into his driver's seat, he turned and smiled at them once more, handing them both water bottles. Rick took this opportunity to hand Carlos directions to their hotel, but Carlos smiled and said, Sí, sí, conozco el camino. Pointing confidently to the GPS mounted above his crappy dash. Rick understood, and Carlos turned himself around and put the car in gear as he started down the dusty paved road. They arrived at the hotel shortly after 10 p.m. The hotel siesta wasn't much to look at, but at least their journey for the day was over, and they could get some rest before heading into the Las Sepultura site in the morning. So the two took their leave of Carlos and each other, agreeing to meet in the lobby at 7 o'clock for breakfast before heading out. The next morning, Rick found Floyd in the lobby, ready to go. After breakfast, the two gathered their rucksacks and met Carlos again. He'd act as their driver, shuttling them to and from the Capon Ruinas before returning them to the airport at the end of their stay. And as before, he smiled at them and handed them fresh water bottles. ¿Pudieron descansar bien? I think he said something about sleeping well. Sí, gracias, Carlos. And with that quick exchange, they started their short drive over to the main office of the Capon Ruinas to pick up their research permits and begin their work. Floyd, can you bring me Monty's book again? For nearly nine years, Floyd had worked alongside his friend and mentor Rick. He knew exactly which book Rick was referring to, Del Monte's Dictionary of Mayan Hieroglyphics. 
He also knew that Rick had the book practically memorized and only wanted the dog-eared thing to note yet another error in Monty's definitions. See here, Floyd? The silly shit says this series of symbols is supposed to tell us this building right here was used as a butcher shop, or meat store, as he puts it. What a crock of horse poop, right? Of course Rick was right. He was always right when it came to his work. For the last two days, Floyd and he had been studying a cluster of five structures in the Los Sepultores that all seemed to have one common theme, healthcare. So it was clear to the pair that this particular building was certainly no butcher shop. If Monty ever bothered to get his fat ass out of his office into a physical site like this, we wouldn't have a generation of scholars basing their historical analysis of the Mayan culture on these horrible translations of his. I swear, I can't wait to get my book off to the editors and set the record straight. I'm with you. Kind of hard to get a book written, though, when we're doing all the field work, too. Maybe your lovely wife could use her professional editing skills to help you out and get the thing done. Dana? Floyd, now I know you're not married, but honestly, don't you understand how terrible an idea that is? Keeping happily married is tricky enough without my pro-editor spouse taking out her red marker and turning my years of writing into something resembling a slaughtered lamb. But isn't any good editor going to do the same thing? Well, sure. But as long as it's someone else, I won't take it as personally, you know? So, no. Not Dana. However, perhaps an editing intern might be helpful. I'll think about that. Now, look here at these symbols. This longer horizontal symbol here clearly represents the male phallus. And we've seen these figures in other structures around here that represent patients versus doctors. And this little symbol here doesn't mean meat, it means piece of skin, correct? Correct, said Floyd, and in that moment, both men realized the true service the doctors of this building provided. This isn't a sausage factory, it's a place for circumcisions. <laughs> Hmm, yep. With apologies to Monty, I guess it is a bit of a butcher shop then. But you see what I mean, Floyd? This is just like figuring out any language. The words often have multiple meanings. Monty has a hard time dealing with that concept. Perhaps he's just too lazy to do the necessary work. Well then, we'll just have to keep correcting him now, won't we? Said Floyd, winking back at Rick. No doubt. And Floyd... I want you to know I appreciate all the help you've given me on these expeditions over the years. By the way, how are you coming with that new phone of yours? Great, actually. It's like no other phone I've had before, but it's weird, too. Some parts have so many options that I'm still finding new features, but then there are other parts that I just can't even find a single setting for. Like what? Nodded Floyd. Well... Take the lock screen, for example. That's a basic phone feature. You go into the general settings, and you're supposed to be able to put in a passcode or a gesture pattern or scan a fingerprint or something. But for the life of me, I can't find anything for setting that up. Did you try Googling it, Floyd? Everything's on the web, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I found a small startup company called Graystar, but I can't find any mention of how to set up the passcode. That's pretty strange. Maybe that phone is a prototype or something. You know, that would explain a lot. For one, the apps on this thing seem pretty advanced. There's this one application that's like a camera, but it does a lot more. You mean it has filters or photo editing tools? Kinda, but not filters like you're thinking where you can change an image from color to black and white. Or, like, sepia tone. There's more, like, I don't know, interpretive filters. The camera gives you back information about what you're seeing through the lens. Oh, right. I get you. Like those translation apps where you look at a menu or sign and it changes a foreign language into your native language for you. Yeah, just like that, but even more so. One setting does translation and another displays how distant objects are from the phone. 
and another setting switches on a night vision filter. And still another seems to be like a thermal imaging filter. It's wild. Yeah, I think you've got yourself a prototype there, Floyd. I've never heard of a built-in camera app like that before. Does it have a name? The app name? Yeah, it's called Reveal. Sounds like an app name to me, no pun intended. Well, maybe you can show me some of those fancy camera filters over a nice cold beer when we're done today. Sure, replied Floyd, taking Monty's book back from Rick and returning it to his rucksack. All right, rucksack. let's move over to the markings on that wall over there, Floyd. Oh, and on a completely different subject, Dana wanted me to ask you if you'd like to join us up at Mirror Lake for a little camping trip when we get back to the Bay Area. We're going to get in some hiking time with our son Griffin after his graduation party. Definitely wouldn't mind joining you guys. It's been a long time since I've hiked with your family, replied Floyd, picking up his gear and following Rick over to the new wall. You're invited to the party too, of course. Any interest? I think that big deal of a meteor shower is supposed to be at its peak that weekend. Going up to the lake to get away from city lights would be perfect for watching the stars. So, yeah, count me in. Great. I figured the whole meteor thing might get you to come out with us. It's been a while since you've seen my boy, too. You might not recognize Griffin. Last time I saw him, he was just a tad taller than Dana and sporting new braces. Yeah. Well, he's almost my height now, and those braces are history. His teeth are perfect. Well, I guess all that money paid off, then. Now I have nightmares of the kid going over the handlebars of his bike or taking up hockey and losing those suckers. That's what being a parent's all about, though, isn't it? You try to give your kids everything and you can still end up worrying it's not enough. Yeah, does seem that way sometimes, Floyd. You know, for a single guy, you sure do have some pearls of wisdom once in a while. Thanks, I try. For the next 10 days, the team of two moved through the Los Sepultura structures, translating hieroglyphics and finding more symbols with double meanings to needle Dale Monte over. In the evenings, Floyd studied his phone while Rick checked in with Dana to find the backpacking plans progressing nicely. On the last day of their research, Floyd stumbled onto a feature of his phone he just couldn't explain. It happened as they were studying one of the ornate stela columns in front of what was once a sacred Kapan temple. How about you take a few pictures of the symbols under King Kawil's head here while I get the transfer paper to take a couple rubbings off his beautiful royal portrait. Raising his phone to take photos of the Mayan symbols, Floyd could not believe his eyes. The Reveal app was translating the ancient symbols in front of him in real time. You gotta be effing kidding me. What is it, Floyd? My phone, Rick. My freaking phone is translating these symbols for me. Check this out. Am I losing my mind or do you see it too? As Rick rejoined Floyd and gazed at the gray star's display, the symbols on the stela were gone, replaced by the words, I am the power and the light. Holy shit, that's impossible. I know, but it's doing it. And that translation is basically what we thought the symbols meant ourselves. Only we had, I am powerful and bright. So yeah, I am the power and the light makes more sense. But how the hell is it doing the translation, Floyd? Beats me. So what do we do now? We're supposed to be at the airport soon. Well, ain't that about a bitch, Floyd. How many new Mayan words or phrases do you think we figured out this week? 40? 50? And how many do you think we might have worked through with that camera app of yours? Uh, God only knows. Should we cancel our flight and stay on for a few more days? Can't, buddy. I gotta get back for Griffin's graduation and that backpacking trip or else Dana will have my hide. But think of all we could translate if we just stuck around a few more days. Look, Floyd, I get it. But that app isn't going anywhere. Unless you lose this phone, too. And the runes aren't going anywhere either. And besides, if this thing really works as well on Mayan symbols as we just saw, there's a crap ton of catalog documents in the university archives we can sift through. Okay, I guess that's true. And another thing, who knows where this app got its reference table from? If it's basing its translations on anything from good old Monty, it'll be hit or miss. 
please, God, don't let it be pulling definitions from that fat bastard's work, said Rick, putting his hands together and looking skyward, causing Floyd to laugh for a moment. So, let's finish up his plan, Floyd. And when we get back home, we can start verifying how accurate this thing is. Hell, you can even start on the flight back home using that phone to review the data we've collected from this trip. Yeah. Plenty of time for me to figure out if this reveal app is accurate or not. Agreed, Floyd. Okay, then. Hell of a day, Floyd. Hell of a day. You ain't kidding. Let's pack up. I want to get on that plane as soon as we can and start comparing translations using this app. By the time Rick and Floyd landed back in Oakland, California, they were both convinced the Reveal app was incredibly accurate in its translation capabilities. There was no way it relied on anything from Del Monte's work, or anyone else they knew of for that matter. The app had also revealed errors they'd made in their own translations from Capon. The two men agreed that if the app had been made by the Mayans themselves, it seemingly couldn't have been more accurate. So who made the app, they wondered. On the way home from the airport, Rick had the driver drop Floyd off first. Arriving curbside at his home, the two men got out of the car, shook hands, and said their goodnights as the driver unloaded Floyd's bags. Rick could tell by his eagerness to get inside that Floyd was probably going to get back to the reveal app instead of going to bed. Don't stay up too late now, Floyd. Remember, you're invited over for Griffin's graduation party tomorrow. Oh, right. Uh, thanks, Rick, but to be honest, I think I might have to pass on that. There's just too much to do between now and camping. Do you realize this thing might be able to translate more than just Mayan symbols? But those ancient languages aren't going anywhere, my friend. Get some rest. You deserve it, and so does your phone. Yeah, yeah, I'll rest when I'm dead. See you, Rick. The next day, Rick barely had time to unpack his bags and get his laundry in the wash before Dana was after him to help her make the final preparations for Griffin's graduation party, planned for that afternoon. I've already marinated the chicken and prepped the tri-tip for you, mister, so why don't you help me by rearranging the living room with a few more TV trays and setting up more chairs in the backyard? Sure thing, honey. The decorations look great, by the way. When do we need to head out for Griffin's graduation party again? The ceremony is supposed to start at 1 o'clock sharp, but I'd like us to get there no later than 12.30 to park. Your mom and dad said they'd head over earlier, so we can text them when we get there and figure out where they are. Sounds like a plan, Stan. Griffin's grad party was essentially one big family barbecue with presents. Everyone was full of food and cheer by the end of it. Rick half wondered how he was still standing after just returning from Honduras, prepping for the party and then spending hours applauding at the high school. But he and Dana had gotten through it all somehow, and now, a bit past 10 o'clock, he and Dana were finishing up putting the house back in order. Dana was washing dishes and Rick was in the living room when they heard something neither of them had ever heard before, a double sonic boom. Although the Alpha Pisceids meteor shower wouldn't be in full swing until the following night, they were getting a taste of what it would be like. An advanced meteor flew overhead. Did you hear that? Yeah, what was that, Rick? I'm not sure. I remember hearing a boom like that when the space shuttle passed overhead years ago, but that sounded different. Griff, can you turn on the news? Maybe they'll mention it. Sure, Dad. Rick, do you think it might have been one of those meteors? I've never heard any meteor sound like that before, but maybe... Mom, Dad, come here and check this out. Wow! It's amazing! I know, right? Said Griffin, glancing quickly to his parents and back to the television screen. Looking at the news footage, they saw a fireball racing across the night sky in the East Bay Hills. At the bottom of the screen, a caption read, Alfred Pisceids arrive in Bay Area. Turn up the volume, Griffin. Let's hear what they're saying. Griffin turned up the volume. Newsmen Bill and Dan were speaking. So you're saying this is just a taste of what we can expect tomorrow night, Dan? Yes, Bill. 
So charge up your phone, ladies and gentlemen. You'll likely be able to record some phenomenal footage just like this. Dan, can you tell us anything about that thunderous boom our viewers reported hearing when they first spotted the fireball? Yes, I heard that too. That's what they call a sonic boom. It happens when an object overhead is going faster than the speed of sound, or supersonic, as they say. So it's sort of a shockwave coming from the meteor, Dan? Precisely, Bill. Similar to the wake made by a boat, only much louder because of the speed involved. I see, Dan. Fascinating. Should we expect to see more of these large shooting stars tonight? It is possible, but unlikely. Officials tell us that the real show won't begin until after dark tomorrow, so your best bet is to get some rest tonight and be ready then. That makes sense. Dan Taylor reporting live outside the Claremont Hotel in the Berkeley Hills. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Bill. Well, that was exciting. Griffin, do you have all your personal gear ready for tomorrow? Just about, Dad. The gear was all loaded into the car, and they had a seat left for Floyd. Did you guys already pack the headlamps and batteries? Yes, all the stuff is loaded in the car. You just worry about what you want to bring to read, or maybe a deck of cards, and don't forget a hat and sunglasses. Mom, it's probably the biggest meteor shower in history, and you think I'm going to be reading or playing cards? Well, maybe not tomorrow night, but you might after. You never know. And besides, Floyd likes cards too. So, just saying, kiddo. That's generally a good point, honey. But Floyd might actually be a little distracted by both the meteor shower and his phone this trip. Well, he's had all that time on the plane and all day today to play with the thing, instead of joining us for Griff's party. It's just a translation app, right? No, honey. It's a new phone, so he's trying to figure out the whole thing. But mainly it's his camera app that he's focused on, so to speak. So it's not the translation app you were telling me about earlier? I'm confused. No, it is. But the translation function is just a setting in his camera app. And there are other settings in the camera that you wouldn't normally find. Like what? Honey, I really ought to just let Floyd show you. I don't want to steal his thunder. If you say so, and you said your Lyft driver just gave Floyd the phone? Yep, just gave it to him. Somebody left it in his car and never came back to claim it. He thought it was some sort of bad luck, so he was relieved to get rid of it, actually. That's peculiar, but lucky for Floyd, I guess. Lucky for both me and Floyd, really. It could really speed up our research efforts. Speaking of which, we need to leave early tomorrow if we're going to beat the crowd getting out of town. Yeah, I'm sure traffic is going to be a bear no matter when we get out of here. But you're right. I'd rather get up there, get our tents all set up, and have dinner before the whole light show kicks into high gear. Hey Griff, bed in 30 minutes, okay? We have a long day ahead of us tomorrow. But Mom, I hardly had any time playing online tonight. Can you make it at least another hour? Give him a break, Dana. He just graduated and you know he's just going to sleep in the car while we're driving up to the lake. Let him have a little fun. Looking back at Rick, Dana considered his words and decided to relent. Okay, Griffin, Ulysses, Nash. You have one more hour, but don't make me or your dad get out of bed to remind you. Okay, Mom, I won't. Good night, son, and congratulations on your graduation. Good night, Griff. Good night, good night, replied Griffin, launching into a multiplayer deathmatch. Rick was right about the traffic. Even though the family was able to get on the road by 10 o'clock, the freeway was packed with cars leaving town for a better view of the meteor shower. Because of this fact, what should have taken them three hours to reach Mirror Lake would now take them nearly six. As Rick fought with a stop of Dana read from her e-reader riding shotgun, and Floyd poured over his phone behind Dana. Every once in a while, he'd make low noises as he discovered more features on his phone. And as Rick expected, Griffin sat reclined in his seat asleep for nearly the whole trip. Arriving at Mirror Lake, they checked in at the ranger station, 
parked the car in overflow parking and hiked two more hours to their site. It was now half past six o'clock. As Rick and Floyd set up the tents, Dana prepared dinner and Griffin gathered stones for a fire pit to get a campfire started. Although it was some time since Rick and Dana had been to the lake, they had visited often enough to know which walk-in sites were best for fishing, which were best for swimming, and which had the most dramatic views. Tonight, their campsite would give them a wonderful open sky view of the meteor shower. Perched on a flat, exposed granite ledge nearly 300 feet above the western edge of Mirror Lake, they had a commanding eastern view. The location also afforded them the opportunity to visit the shoreline within a short 15-minute downhill hike, if they wished. As the sun set behind them and the sky darkened, the group finished up dinner and started enjoying the campfire. Thanks again for inviting me along, you guys, said Floyd, putting more wood on the fire. And Dana, that dinner was tops. Don't mention it, Floyd. We're always happy to have you along. And as for the food, most of that was just left over from Griffin's graduation party. Right. Sorry I missed that. How did it go? I thought it was great, but we didn't see much of the boy. Right, honey? You know how these parties go, Floyd. All the kids just graduated, so they're all running around trying to get their yearbooks signed and planning their summer. Well, what did you think about the party, Griff? It was alright, I guess. Tons of desserts, all the family there, grandparents and stuff. And some presents. Mostly money for my books, Whoa! I, I just heard a sonic boom, but I didn't see anything. Did you? Must have been behind us. The first visible fireball of the night came into full view overhead. There's one! Wow! That was pretty cool! Hey Griffin, did you decide on a school yet? I got accepted into a few places, but I've decided on Berkeley. And we're setting him up in a dorm instead of having him commute back and forth from home. You just want to turn his room into your own private little playground. Man cave, honey. It's referred to as a man cave. All right, but just remember our agreement, Rick. You don't move out Griffin's furniture until he's fully decided he's not coming back to live with us. He might not like the dorms. No problem, baby. Griffin, you're going to love the dorms. And after the first year, you're probably going to want to move out of the dorms and into a place with a couple of buddies like I did. said Griffin as they all applauded the arrival of yet another meteor just on the heels of the last one. And I'm sure you'll be happy to help me move my furniture right over, won't you? You bet. Then you can help me move in stuff from my man cave. Don't worry, darling. I'm sure it'll all work out when the time comes. Wow, did you see that one? Half-shielding his eyes. Shoot, no! But I sure heard it, wow! Exclaimed Floyd, turning his attention back from the campfire to the sky. I saw it. Pretty cool. Broke into three distinct pieces, and you could see the reflection on the lake, too. Floyd, how many is that now? Must be at least two dozen since dinner if you count all the sonic booms we heard but didn't actually see. It's certainly nothing like I've ever seen before. Trust me, Griffin. You'll be telling your grandchildren about this night. Is that the phone you got on the way to the airport, Floyd? Sure is. It's a gray star. Did Rick tell you about it? I didn't want to spoil it for you, Floyd. I thought it'd be better to let you show her and Griffin yourself. But Rick did explain that it's your camera app that's doing the translation thing. Correct said Floyd, pointing his phone's camera lens upwards, hoping to capture the next fireball. As Floyd started explaining the many functions of his reveal app, Rick worked to adjust the burning logs in the fire pit. Splitting his attention between Floyd, the campfire, and the meteor shower overhead, 
Rick really wasn't following Floyd's phone story, but he knew he'd have plenty of time to revisit with him later. As Floyd continued describing the different functions of the camera app to Dana, moisture and sap trapped inside the campfire logs vaporized into steam until the surrounding wood gave way to the pressure. Through splitting crevices, the superheated steam emerged hissing and crackling from the many fissures across its surface. Dana listened to Floyd and watched as Rick's poking at the logs caused a burst of minute embers to rise a dozen feet above the flames and disappear into the cool evening air. Tired of waiting for the next meteor and having trouble finding a record button in his reveal app, Floyd lowered his phone and switched on one of the app's special filters. I'll show you what I mean, Dana. Here, take my phone and point the viewfinder at those trees over there. As Dana took the phone and pointed at the nearby group of trees to her left, she looked at the phone's display and tried to fathom what she was seeing. Is this camera more like a scanner or something, Floyd? I can see the trees, but I can also make out other stuff behind the trees in the distance, like orange heat signatures. Exactly. This specific camera filter acts like a thermal imager. Those are probably other campers in the distance. Try zooming in on one of them and you might be able to figure out what you're looking at. This one over here looks like it could be a deer lying down. See the antlers, Griff? Those other ones further out are definitely campers sitting around a fire like us, but they're so far away. Let me see, Mom. I have to admit, I haven't seen a phone be able to do that before. And if you play with the settings, you can see other amazing stuff. Uh, it does distances between different objects. You can see airflow patterns in the wind. There's a sound signature visualization. You can see object densities and all sorts of other stuff, including the whole translation function. I haven't figured it all out yet, but pretty fantastic, right? I'm loving the meteor shower, you know, but I gotta say, I'm having a hard time paying full attention while I've got this phone. Well, it is pretty interesting. As Floyd toggled his camera back into video capture mode, another meteor appeared overhead. But before Floyd could find the reveal app's record button, the fireball had faded away. Dang it, I missed another one. Don't worry, I'm sure you'll capture one soon enough, Floyd. Hey guys, I've got my sleeping bag and candle lantern all set up, and I think I might actually do a little reading before bed. You're joking, right Griff? You slept practically all the way up here and you're going to bed now? Not yet. I'm just going to read a little bit, then sleep. Besides, I've already seen like over 15 gigantic flaming shooting stars. Isn't that enough? That's all right there, Griffin. You're right. You do what you want to do. If you've had enough of the aerial display, that's fine. It's your vacation too. Well, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to head down to the edge of the lake to get a better view and maybe get some video of mirrored reflections of these fireballs off the lake. Anyone want to come with? I'm fine sitting right here next to this cozy fire with my wine, Floyd. But maybe Rick wants to join you. Actually, I'm with you, my darling. Nothing beats a warm fire, a couple of beers within arm's reach, and plenty of flaming meteors viewable just by tilting my head back. Besides, that hike in to get here kind of wore me out. Definitely the biggest meteor shower of our lifetime, and you're all too pooped to pop. It's like a 15-minute walk to the lake. Super simple, guys. As yet another fireball streaked over the lake, all eyes slowly turned to Griffin, climbing into his tent. Noticing the pause in conversation and sensing their gaze, Griffin turned to look back towards them. Seriously, I'm tired too. I'd probably fall asleep and Floyd would have to carry me back or something. It's not even 10 o'clock yet. Simply pitiful. Alright then, I'm off to the lake. Don't wait up for me, I'll see you all in the morning. Enjoy your beauty sleep and don't let the meteors keep you up. I always have my earplugs. Finishing off his beer and opening another. You need a flashlight, Floyd? Are you kidding me? Said Floyd, 
flicking on his phone's camera light as a torch and turning it towards her. Dang, Floyd, is there a dimmer on that thing? Asked Griffin, shielding his eyes as a light beamed past his parents and lit up his tent. Dunno, maybe. I'll see if I can figure that out, too. See you soon. Later, Floyd. Later. Be safe, Floyd. Will do, Dana. Reaching the edge of the lake, Floyd found a reasonably flat boulder to lay against until the next barrage of intergalactic debris flew overhead. He didn't have to wait long. One after another brilliantly blazed above him. Some were so bright, Floyd found himself shielding his eyes. Between the pyrotechnics, Floyd tried again and again to record video of the meteors. The reveal app allowed him to view and analyze what he was seeing a million different ways but not record a thing. He tried every option he could find in the app, but there just didn't seem to be a button to take a snapshot or record video. After a while, Floyd gave up in frustration. He went back to simply enjoying the meteors and trying out new reveal settings to see them streak across the sky differently. That's when he discovered a setting that slowed down what he was viewing momentarily. Floyd started using the new slow motion setting along with a zoom function he discovered earlier, and the combination of the two made the far out streaking meteors look more like close flaming cargo containers with something he couldn't quite make out at the center of each. If only he could record and play back what he was seeing. Floyd looked through the other apps on his phone searching for other possible recording options, kept coming back to the reveal app. The meteor shower continued into the early morning, and Floyd really was in heaven, even though his eyes were not happy. They felt raw and bloodshot, and Floyd found himself rubbing them more and more after each successive fire. Then something flew overhead extremely close. It was so loud and bright that Floyd dropped his phone and instinctively fell into a fetal position. What the hell was that? He cried, and for a moment he just lay there stunned trying to comprehend what had just happened. His ears rang as he looked out and saw a thousand tiny ripples expand across the shallow shoreline towards the center of the lake. If it was a meteor, I'd be dead. There'd have been a huge explosion and I'd be inside the impact crater too. But there was no explosion, no impact. There was only a bright flash, a horrendous boom, and then a muted whoosh, as if whatever it was had suddenly been sucked into a vortex and disappeared at the last moment before the impact, leaving only a thousand little ripples across the water as evidence that something had happened. Then Floyd realized he'd dropped his new phone on the rocky shoreline. My phone! Floyd felt around the rocks, fearing the worst, but the phone was fine. He swiped open the home screen. There were no cracks at all, and his reveal app was still running. Thank God for little miracles. He thought to himself. Then Floyd saw it. Through the lens of his phone, not more than a hundred meters down the shoreline, he saw a glowing dome at the water's edge. Through the lens, it appeared about 10 meters in diameter, but when Floyd looked with his own eyes, he saw only the shoreline stretching out around the lake. Floyd rubbed his eyes and flicked on his phone's powerful torchlight. He still couldn't discern any structure near the waterline, even though it was radiantly glowing on the gray star's display. In the air hung a sharp, pungent smell, like ozone after a heavy thunderstorm. Floyd got to his feet and walked slowly towards the glowing yet invisible dome. Another meteor shower screeched overhead in the distance, but Floyd no longer cared about stargazing. The glowing dome on his display had his full attention. He walked forward until he was standing right in front of the structure. As he examined the invisible object with his phone, Floyd realized there was yet another shape resting in the center of the dome. It was the same shape he thought he saw in the middle of the fireballs when he was using his reveal's combined slow motion and zooming functions. Had this thing come out of one of those meteors? The reveal app showed that the dome surrounding the inner object was not wholly solid. 
The half-spherical structure reminded Floyd of a small geodesic dome. The dome pulsed slightly at a steady cadence, but made no sound. All Floyd could hear was the gentle lapping of the water against the shore and the sound of the early morning breeze moving through the trees around him. Floyd stretched out a hand to touch the invisible surface of the dome. He didn't feel anything solid, but his hand did tingle. Holy shit, he said, his hair standing straight up from the static electricity before he pulled his hand away. It wasn't the static electricity that spooked Floyd, though. Moving his hand past the dome's surface, it disappeared up to his wrist. Looking down at his phone's display, however, he could still see himself wiggling his fingers. Floyd took a step back from the dome and examined his hand. He wiggled his fingers again. They seemed fine. He touched the surface again and had the same experience as before, but this time he reached further into the void with his whole left arm. He watched as first his hand disappeared, then his wrist, then his forearm all the way up to his elbow. When Floyd had his arm fully past the invisible threshold, he made a decision. He closed his eyes, held his breath, and took a big step forward into the nothingness. The rocks under Floyd's feet felt the same as a moment before. He prepared to leap back through the dome's threshold in case he found he couldn't breathe, but he found he could. He opened his eyes and looked around. Everything looked the same as it did on the other side, but now he could see what was hidden in the middle of the dome without using his reveal app. It was some kind of small craft about three meters tall and nearly as wide. At its base was what looked like landing gear, lit by pulsing red light. At its peak was what looked like an antenna that cast a pale blue light across the entire interior of the dome. That must be what's hiding this thing from view. If ever there was a time to find a way to take a snapshot or record a video, this was it. But there was no button interface in his Reveal app. Floyd tried clicking the main power button. Nothing happened. He tried both volume buttons individually and then together. Nope. Take photo, he commanded. Again, nothing happened. Cheese, said Floyd. Smile? He tried. No luck. Damn it! I'm so calling Graystar customer support when I get a signal. Then Floyd thought he saw something on his display move inside the craft. He couldn't be certain, though, because his vision was growing progressively worse. Was he just tired from watching meteors for so many hours, or was there something else affecting his eyesight? He couldn't be sure of the cause, but one thing was clear to him. If there was something moving inside that craft, Floyd didn't want to greet it alone with such poor vision. He moved closer and put one ear to the side of the craft. He could hear something moving within. Startled, he turned around and started to leave the way he had come in. As he was about to exit the dome, he heard a low, mechanical sound behind him, like some metal hatch being unlocked and slid open. Floyd passed back out of the dome and felt the familiar static charge as he crossed back through the threshold to the outside. The mechanical sounds abruptly stopped, silenced by the dome shielding. Even though he was out of the dome, Floyd knew he needed to get away from this place. He needed to tell others about what he had found. There was only one problem. Floyd's vision had now all but left him. He could just barely see the phone he held in his hand. He rubbed his eyes and started walking forward, only to stumble and fall. Floyd crawled towards his right, away from the waterline. He reached out, feeling for the lake's embankment, hoping to find a bush to hide in or a boulder to hide behind until his vision cleared before the dawn came. Then, Floyd stopped and started to giggle. A sudden sense of calm covered him like a warm blanket. Every muscle in his body felt more relaxed than he could ever before remember. In his euphoria, he heard his relaxed breathing. He felt his heartbeat slow to a perfect resting rate, and he smelled toast. He sat there on the ground and started slowly rocking back and forth. Floyd laughed. Then he slowly looked up to the sky with his blinded eyes and proclaimed, Toast. Definitely toast. 
At that moment, a pale blue light engulfed Floyd, disturbing the early morning darkness like a gigantic blue-tinted flash from a 70s magnitude flashbulb. A second later, he was gone. Floyd's clothes and gray star phone fell to the ground. Floyd's laughter was replaced by the gentle sound of water lapping at the shoreline. A moment later, footsteps without form approached the happy man's now empty clothes. The clothes danced above the ground for a moment, then fell as the disembodied footsteps moved away in the direction of the campground. A pair of coyotes watching the scene unfold bared their teeth, growling as a nearly transparent figure moved into the tree line. They had witnessed the happy man and the blue flash, and they too were curious about the pile of clothes that remained where he once sat. The curious coyotes approached the clothes, smelling the essence of the man. As a smaller, younger coyote sniffed at one of the shoes, sticking its snout deeply inside, the other, larger coyote carefully rooted through the clothes until it found an object and pulled it free, the phone. As the younger coyote rejoiced in the odiferous emanations coming from the happy man's surrendered hiking shoes, the older, wiser coyote took up the gray star phone in its mouth and started back up to the ridgeline where the two had come from. The younger coyote joined the older one a moment later, carrying away its own treasure, a very ripe sock. If you liked today's recording, please like and favorite us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find us at coffeecontrails.com. Thanks.